This episode of the Restoration Today podcast is brought to you by CoreLogic and NextGear Solutions' all-new event, Interconnect, coming to LA in January of 2023. Claims, restoration, underwriting, and risk unite for an event experience unlike any other in the industry. With curated sessions designed to inspire and unique networking events, we're bringing together the brightest minds to shape a new perspective of what's possible in insurance and restoration. Go to interconnect.nextgearsolutions.com to register now. See you in LA. Hello there. Thanks for checking out this episode of Restoration Today. Today we are talking about, um, well, Hurricane Ian hit and Florida has a lot of different rules and regulations and laws and how things should go in Florida compared to other markets. And we want to try to help contractors not get in trouble if you're thinking about doing cat work and also kind of stay on top of the trends and what you should be mindful of if you are doing cat work. But we're also going to talk about some other things relating to dry, related to drying and all of those things because I am joined by our David Sweet, who is from Mitt Consulting. He is um, he's also owned a restoration company. He is an expert witness on a number of uh, drying cases when it's related to mitigation. He knows his stuff. He's also written a series of articles on stabilization. You can check that out. He has an ebook on CNR that you can check out. That's mitigation versus or drying. Ver- Mitigation versus stabilization. That's right. Mm -hmm. I can guess myself on that, but you can find that to download for free. And that's been really popular so far amongst uh, CNR readers. So David has a a plethora of resources out there. So he's here today. He lives in Florida. He understands what the insurance and restoration landscape is like there, maybe better than just about anybody. So David, thank you very much for joining me. So I know I just gave a little bit of an introduction, but give, um, fill in some of the gaps that I might've missed so people understand the breadth of your experience and knowledge when it comes to restoration and drying. Okay, so um, I originally started as an adjuster back in the 90s. Uh, So I was all lines independent adjuster in Florida and I did that up through the early 2000s, but I started my first restoration company in 1999 because I saw such a huge disparity between what should be done. And we had really well-meaning people that generally charged way too little because they didn't understand what they should be doing versus very well-organized companies that charged an enormous amount, but then still didn't necessarily do what they should have done. Um, And it was an educational gap that honestly, and since I'm an instructor, some of this falls on me, it still exists. We still are behind people that have uh, incompletely or improperly dried structures, haven't found hazards, um, haven't protected their workers properly, didn't do what OSHA requires them to do, let alone best practice. And then the biggest bugabear of of the last year and the thing that's going to change everything the most is uh, they're just not documenting their claims. And by documenting their claims, um, and this is this is really important for folks. Because everybody that comes to a storm thinks that they will get some type of uh, they'll get some type of credit for being a hero here. And the lack of documentation won't make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, I will spend the next five years doing nothing besides trying to quantify jobs where people did not properly document. And somebody came in and said it's worth 10 percent of what it was. They did all the work. But the brand new trend with uh, with all of the carriers and the TPAs and TPCs that we're tending to see is they're doing a standards review. And if you don't meet the requirement of the standards and the administrative parts of it, um, we just can't help you. We'd like to help you, 
but we can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, and, and that's exactly what's happening. So people think they're going to be okay. And in reality, they're kind of, they're kind of done and you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So, you know, I started doing this because I saw a need for it. And as the industry has grown, we're getting much better. We're seeing tools and stuff like that to take documentation, but we still find people not doing the kind of documentation that actually gets them paid. The kind of documentation that gets you paid isn't collecting all of your psychometric uh, mm-hmm. and atmospheric readings and EMC. That's the base level. What's yeah. really, really getting people paid now is, are you telling them why? Is this your environment? Is the environment right? Did you contract for, for example, for a particular drying plan? Did you meet the drying plan? Did you publish the drying plan? Did everybody have an opportunity to discuss whether or not they liked your drying plan or not? And you pin them down. And then here's your readings today. What did you do? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Did it, do I need to have more dehumidification? Do I need to switch my, you know, what did you do? Why did you do it? And not just that, but oh my gosh, I could have done this, but I didn't do this because this was better. It's the creating of that robust narrative that lets you be the expert on the project that means you take away the carrier's ability or anybody else's ability to substitute their theory for your fact set and narrative based upon it. Mm-hmm. That was a mm-hmm. long run on sentence, was it not, Miss Michelle? And I know you would expect nothing less. I would, <laughs> with all the love and respect in the world, I would expect nothing less. Um, okay, so I don't. I wonder. I okay. I I have a lot of directions that I want to take this, and a lot of questions that I want to ask. But first, clarify quickly what you mean. You talked about it a little bit just now with your moisture meter readings and different data points every single day. I feel like restorers often go into job sites and they're like, I have 3D scans. I'm taking all the pictures, all of that. What does real documentation look like beyond the imaging? It goes far beyond the imaging. Is that right? Oh my gosh, yes. Although there are people that will argue that if you take a picture of a meter in a place, that that is documentation. And that's a squidgy spot in the standard of care. You know, I teach a five-day standard of care class, right? And all we do is go over about 120 references that then inform how you should be collecting your data. So intrinsic in what you just ask is the data that you're taking, it's the data that most people think they need but the problem is, is you didn't back engineer it to the standard and best practice. Mm-hmm. So it may seem a reasonable level when in practice, you're short certain things that the insurance company is going to be looking for when they want you to dot your I and cross your T. I speak tons of time with, with the largest TPAs and TPCs that exist. And before they want to talk about whether the job was right or wrong or discuss anything, they're just saying, can I have my daily readings? Did you do your meter calibration? Can I see your picture at the beginning? Can I see your picture at the end of the meter calibration? Um, here's your monitor points. Where's your reading? What setting was your mon- uh, was your uh, moisture ma- moisture meter actually on? Was it on American oak, or or was it on pine or poplar or ebony? Or did you use one that doesn't have that to evaluate a distance? Or did you use remote monitoring? 
Did you go every day? I'm doing one right now. It's two hundred ninety thousand dollars. They paid twenty grand on it. This is this is one of my. Uh, uh, it's probably going to wind up being an expert project, but I'm doing a file review, and half of the file was the TPC not paying for Saturdays and Sundays. It's huh. a five week long project on five units. And they refused to approve Saturdays and Sundays because nobody went and monitored. Oh, and there wasn't remote monitoring, I'm guessing, which there I wasn't understand remote is monitoring on it. different. Yeah, no remote but... monitoring on it. Uh, well, you know, the standard does <clears throat> not identify and say that it, it says that there must be readings taken daily, okay. which it suggests a site visit. But here's my my plug for remote monitoring in general. You, you know I rep for a particular company, but any remote monitoring in general. The only thing that having a person on site actually adds is the ability to see if something's gone monumentally wrong. All right. But when you start talking about moving equipment and, and moisture readings, good God, do your eyes see moisture in walls or does your meter read moisture in walls? So when you're out there, you're going to be taking the same readings that you would take remotely. So how about we skip past that, remove that from our technician's job duty, promote that up to somebody who actually understands how to control environments, and then we only send somebody out when there's a necessity to actually have a reason to be on the job site and disturbing the person and charging a truck, charging mileage, charging, charging their travel time. And by the way, then to have somebody say, "Did you did you calibrate your meter? Well, did you did you, did you what what reading did you use? Did you do it begin? Did you do it at the end? Did it get hot? Did it get cold? I've had a forty five minute deposition about twenty times on. Do you understand how to use your meter? It's one of the reasons I do remote monitoring. I got out of that first one. I'm like, mm, no, I got to find me a remote monitoring system so we don't have to do that ever again. Um, and, and they've stopped. They've stopped doing it unless you do handheld, because I'm going to promise you 99% of the people have never been taught how to do a, a moisture calibration program. Now, <laughs> we're talking about in Ian, because I have clients in Ian. I have clients yeah. all over the United States, and some of them have come in to work Ian, and they're calling me every day saying, you won't believe what they're doing. You won't believe what they're doing. You won't believe what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, I've done I've done tons of storms. I know exactly what they're doing. Um, you just don't want to be one of those because at some point someone's going to demand that you show them why you did what you did and why it was the right thing to do. And mm -hmm. anything you don't create a narrative for, they will insert their opinion on you. And you definitely do not want people inserting their opinion where you could have instead provided your professional uh, discretion and a narrative that ties everything to the truth. There's a reason I've never lost a, a lawsuit that's been on one of my files. And we've had lots and lots of them. If you tie it to data, third-party quantified validated data, and you reconcile your file and you tell the story every day and send everything out every day. I know everybody thinks, oh, it's a storm. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Take less jobs. Take less jobs and do them right. So you're not going to have them butchered. Even the TPCs pay 80, 90% of my bills up front before they argue out because they can't undo it. It's a great big long checklist. They're going to apply to the work you do. And everything you don't have, they're going to be like, well, I, 
I believe you that it was there. I believe you that it ran politely or properly. I just can't approve or recommend payment for it if they weren't there taking the readings. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you not being on site taking readings or not having remote telemetry doing it for you and then you doing something with it because this is the double-edged sword. You're expected to be professional once you have it. Um, we still are working our way out of our janitorial mindset, Michelle. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's chucking a truck and set and forget and spray and pray. It still is widely exercised across our industry. And if you'd like to get paid like a janitor <laughs> and sued like one, then you can continue to do that. Mm-hmm. If you don't, there is an entirely new uh, there's a new, well, it's not new, but they're holding you to the five documents of standards that have been written and reworked. This is none of this is new. You would be astonished to find how little has really changed between 1994 and 2021 in the five S500 revisions. In little thing here, little thing there, everybody's done some effective marketing, um, but really not a whole lot. Um, if you don't know, you're supposed to be doing daily inspections. Read the standard or I'll put the quote down for you in the bottom of this. The standard is what should be driving what you're doing. And here's the warning for the industry. If we don't do a better job of this, you're going to have states starting to step in and legislate this mm. for both mitigation remediation. We've already had it starting in Georgia for bio and trauma. All right. And for water. Yep. If yep. we will not, the state will find no reason to come in and nanny us if we'll be responsible and self-govern properly. If we fail to do that, um, it's just a matter of time. And guys, once that starts, uh, if you aren't if you aren't aware of what happened in Florida when we had mold legislation, you really do not want the people that are making the mess that is currently being made nationwide, you don't want them in there legislating how you're supposed to be doing your job. It'd be a heck of a lot better to just do it properly. We have standards, best practices, we have ASTM standards. We got all kinds of stuff that people would just will bother to read it and then not be intimidated when the carrier says, well, I don't think I should pay you for that. Well, you know, you can pay the insurer whatever you want. Yep. But this this is what the standard is. This is what the statute is. And my obligation is to my my employees, to my company, and to the person I'm contracted with. You can explain that to the to them, which, by the way, if you're not telling these people this up front, please, anything you let get pushed to the end, anything, you should be ruling every single one of those decisions up front. It's one of the things I, I try and teach people. A, a, a blow up at the end is a missed opportunity to prevent it up front. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is how I'm doing it. Respond back to me within three days. Or I'm going to presume that you agree with me. The way that you do your contracts, the way that you do your communications. Here's a freebie for everybody. If you are not sending your emails with delivery and read receipts and keeping them, please start. If you're using Google Mail, stop. Go get a real email client like Exchange. (laughs) All right. And monitor those things coming back and forth. I've walked into court before. And handed opposing or my attorney handed uh, opposing counsel a list of the 274 emails that were received and deleted without being read. 
that were the bulk of the communication on the file they were swearing they never got. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's start talking about Hurricane Ian in Florida. But I think first you need to paint the picture of what the insurance market looks like in Florida. It's completely different. The status of the carriers there is completely different. The health of the insurance <laughs> industry there is completely different. Yeah, so paint that picture first. Um, this is a this is a dangerous time in our state uh, economically. Uh, it'll get worked out, um, but there's mismanagement every place. We've had six insurers go belly up this year, I believe, and they're in receivership. And if you don't know what that means in the state of Florida, that means they go to FIGA, the Florida Guarantee Association, which means nothing happens for six months while they do reviews. There's no oh. litigation. Everything gets pressed to appraisal if you don't take their money. There's no fees paid in appraisal, and they can take forever. Okay, so um, number one, whether these people will be back around in six months is really, really questionable. I, I can't imagine there were carriers, a bunch of carriers that by claims paying practice, I see or have seen in the last three or four months, you can kind of tell when someone's getting ready to, to have a problem. Mm -hmm. They're going to restructure, they're going to have it, claims cuts off, communication cuts off, checks stop coming, um, and I can name for you five right now that I think are probably not that far away from it. So if you're responding to Florida, be aware, the only safe work is cash work, number one. Number two, if you're not licensed, don't come here. <laughs> All right, don't, just don't. Don't do assessing, don't do remediation. Um, the only people that are exempted from remediation licensing are general contractors. If you're not a general contractor, don't do it. DeSantis isn't playing games. They're arresting people. And as far as I'm concerned, everybody should be turning everyone else in because I've already gotten my first two jobs in five to $10 million houses right on the water where someone came in, did seven days worth of work and has left it with asbestos, lead, all the contents in place, everything cross-contaminated and the driest material in the entire house is 24% equilibrium moisture content. And they charge these people $75,000 for this. Everyone's like, David, why aren't you going? Why aren't you going? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't have to go. They'll come to me because that's the kind of nonsense that's going to happen. Don't come here and do that and think that you're going to get out of it. They will activate your E&O. They will activate your general liability. This will not be like prior storms. Uh, I know because I have 10 people that I've trained. They're down there, and I promise you they're looking for this. It's one of my clients that I've trained that brought this person to me or this company or this client to me. Once the first one goes, the entire island will go. And they're right down on the water on the Lisbon. So don't come if you don't do that. You can't plan, you can't be guaranteed of getting paid. Realize that if you're clearing a building with anything besides basically some form of deep probe through building materials, someone's gonna come behind you and stick screws in all those building materials. And if they're not dry, they're gonna document it. And either you're going to come back and fix it and all the damage you did. And guys, there's there's no excuse for this. Oh, but I was working a storm. I had to get to the next one. Okay. Um, I guess that will they will take that up with your insurance company. Just don't, please don't do less. You do far better making people wait 
and doing the job that you're supposed to be doing um, and, and not. Uh, you have very little control right now. The assignment of benefit has been severely limited, although there's there's an argument about in policy. I've seen people apply this both ways. I'm not going to take a position on it, but there are companies that are trying to apply water damage limits of three and ten thousand dollars to storm and wind damage. All right. To add complexity to this, we have wind. We have wind-driven rain. We have wind-driven rain on the ground, and we have flood. Um, those of you that work sandy, I want you to be realistic about what that means. His, 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 hers, theirs, its, whatever. All right. Everybody will be arguing about who owes for what, when, why, where, and how. Who is for what portion of a bill? You have to be, if you are not capitalized to run home and everything here for cash for a year at least, you got no business here. Okay. So what are the licenses that contractors need to have in Florida to be doing mitigation mold, especially specifically mold work? All right, so mitigation, no licensing, but you have okay. to be registered, okay? okay? There is no licensing for MIT. Okay. Here's the problem. Come do demo on one of my projects and see how fast I'm going to be looking for your asbestos license, your lead license, all right? I'm going to asking for your hazard inspections, and so are other people. It's not just me. I've been training people for the last 10 years. They know what to look for. They know what to ask for. If you leave a structure at less than dry standard with anything besides a normal fungal ecology and a normal hazard profile, and you didn't sample your way out, but we can't get people to sample, we'll find them. And if they can't get anybody else to sample, write yourself a release that says, we have to sample because nobody else can be here. Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Insured, we got no choice. We can't not sample our way out. We can't find anyone to do it. We need for you to let us do it. And you are noticed at this point that you have to do it. Guys, if you don't have good liability assessment, I teach this in my classes a lot. We, we are in the business of liability mitigation. We stand between an insured and an insurance policy. And what we do is we make sure that the insurance policy returns them to their pre-loss condition. We make sure that the insured can uh, have their house back whole and the insurance company pays for it with the indemnity payment. All right. We think we do water damage. We don't. We do liability mitigation and control. We just happen to perform <laughs> mitigation, remediation and restoration services. And um, you will understand the industry so much more once you get why no insurance company cares what you're doing. Because they don't care if you followed standard. Their job is to pay for it, which becomes really confusing when they try to tell you how you should be doing your job. And okay. you have to politely remind them, I super appreciate your opinion. However, I think you're a little out of your lane. I'm not going to tell you how to adjust your policy. I need you to respectfully, um, if you think I violated something in the standard of care best practice, you know, by all means, let me know. But would you like to have control of the project in whole? 
because I can <laughs> sign project management this over to you and you can be responsible in perpetuity for it if that's what you really want. And if that's okay with the client and that's what you want, we'll do exactly what you want. Um, I can tell you in 30 years, I have never had a single insurance company take me up on that. Yeah, I would hope not. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you have to have some way to help to, to politely say, okay, I want you to understand what you're asking for. Mm -hmm. What you're really doing is you're asking for me to let you tell me how much risk I'm going to bear and how I'm going to do my work. Okay. Now, I'm not willing to accept that as a business person because I understand what that means. But if you'd like to take it as a business person, if you'd like to become responsible for it, then you can. We just need to make sure that we manage our liability responsibly. That's all. Mm -hmm. So you can have what you want. But just make sure you want what you got once you get it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, okay. you know, you can absolutely do it. So right now we have uh, we have a very unstable market. We have high deductibles. Don't think that any deductible is going to get absorbed. Please do not offer to absorb deductible. It's insurance fraud. I will tell you that you're competing against insurance companies who are by contract allowed to absorb the deductible if they want to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's preferred vendors on these projects. Right. Okay. Yes. Yep. Uh, don't be scared to come behind a preferred vendor and do a dry standard check mm. and pick up the remainder of the project if it's mm. not right to sample. It's what I do. I don't do first call work anymore. All I do is go fix what everybody else screws up. Um, we're polite, we're professional. We give them an opportunity to cure if they want it. The problem is they don't know how to do it, so they couldn't they couldn't do it. If they could do it, they would have done it in the first place. Mm -hmm. In storms, everybody's like, oh, I just, you know, get her done, get her done, get her done. You know, Larry the Cable Guy winds up in jail around here. <laughs> um, or you'll just wish you are. Whatever you earn here, guys, it takes one lawsuit to consume it. Y'all yeah. wandering around with a million dollars of liability. One of these lawsuits can be seven figures in litigation. And let's just say you make it all the way through and you win. What happens when the second one comes? And there's opportunists out there wandering around for this. So this is no joke. Seriously, no joke. So it's a, it's a rough market. Don't be down here and doing work unless you're licensed. Find somebody work underneath them. Um, don't leave structures wet. Sample your way out of every single project. I don't care what the insured wants. That is not, if you have to pay for it, yourself guys sampling doesn't cost that much develop a relationship with a lab contact me if you need training on how to sample remotely it's not that hard i want an iep to do it or an rtpe to do it i really really do but i understand that sometimes you just don't have a choice mm -hmm. i sample out of my projects when i can't get someone there i ain't walking away i'm going to manage my liability anything yep. you leave unaddressed someone will come back and pry for weaknesses it's darned if you do, darned if you don't land. Okay, so talk about the um, the difference between like mitigation and drying versus stabilization and stabilizing a project. So explain the difference for restorers who maybe don't realize that there's a difference and there maybe are some different practices that should be in place on some of these jobs. Sure. All right, so in reality, stabilization is a portion of mitigation. Mm-hmm. 
the concept of mitigation is basically to prevent further damage. You're mm-hmm. going to find it generally, and this is where I say I'm not an attorney and I'm not an adjuster and I'm not a PA and I didn't sleep in Holiday Inn. So I'm not saying I'm any of those things. I'm giving general information. See how we manage liability? Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, generally, Section 2 of most homeowners insurance policies have a section that says duties after loss. Among those duties after loss are report your claim. If you have a theft, call the fire, the uh, department. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, basically. And then there's two competing requirements. One is to prevent further damage. Prevent yep. further damage is mitigation. This is our industry. Second one is allow us to inspect as often as we are, as we reasonably require. And what this is for is the insurance company wants to be aware, complete their inspection so that they can properly put into place their coverages. Okay. If you violate that, they do what they call prejudicing a loss. It means you've taken away a right that may have actually um, been available to the carrier because you did something that if you hadn't done it, they would have said you could have done something different or we would have told you to do something different or told you there's not coverage. I know this is really this is really loosey-goosey, and that's what's so dangerous about it. Is mm-hmm. it something that at a later date somebody gets to define? Anything okay. you don't define is risk, and I'm mm-hmm. all about risk management. We need to understand that because they're doing risk management. We're not. Mm-hmm. We need to change the way we think about approaching this. We're serving the risk management industry. Their language is different. Their behavior is different. What they want and need is different. All right. And we can't keep doing what we're doing and thinking that's going to be okay because it ain't. Yep. So um, you, you're, you're stuck in a variety of ways. Everybody has trained you to run in and do your work immediately. But mm-hmm. you have this small problem. OSHA says under general duty that you are required to provide work in a place of work free from all, no, all known hazards. So lead, asbestos, silicate, nuisance dust, pesticides, all right, poisons, mold, bacteria, all right, and those are just the basics. How do you know your people are protected? And it goes on further in general duty to say if even if you think there's an issue, then we go to the respiratory protection part of it, which is 1910-132-D1 uh, that says that basically, paraphrase, you're required to provide PPE for any known hazards or any potential hazards. So okay. you're throwing people on projects you know diddle and squat about. How do you do this responsibly when you have an expectation and you've been trained that you have to start stuff immediately? So you have an entire industry that's trained you and an insurance company's going to lose their ever-loving mind if you don't get in there and make it cheap for them. But you have a superseding or preceding obligation to your worker. And by the way, to the insureds that are sitting inside of the structure, mm-hmm. because they're going to be exposed to that. Yep. Do I need to create containment barriers, negatively pressurize them? Do I need to, guys, when you extract water out, do you think that water only goes up that hose or do you think you aerosolize that water, water vapor and everything that's around in it? And how so often maybe, is water cat one? Not very often. Really <laughs> not really often, but they only think it is. Anybody who thinks that most water is cat one is somebody who does not categorize their water. 
you categorize your water, you will have a very different opinion about this. Mm -hmm. Eventually, folks, everybody will go in in PPE. Everything will be isolated off and we'll treat everything for one hazard or another reason as controlled demolition, which really should be doing anyway. The last thing we need to be doing is not creating an environment and everybody is having a spasm right now. Oh my God, you just made it so expensive. Guys, manage your risk however you want to do it. But I'm telling you, Expose your people to silica and let them develop silicosis. Get your people sick from exposure to bacteria or viruses or E. coli or fecal coliform or gram-positive or negative or any of the rest of the happy crap that lives in these houses, all right? Especially after a storm, there's okay. oil in these houses, there's petrochemicals, there's poisons, there's all manner of everything. Every dog that leaves themselves and outside and everything is now inside of these houses in Ian. And we got people wandering around without PPE. And the problem is, is they think everything's okay. They won't have their problem until later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Silicosis happens the fastest three to five years. And by the way, if you've never seen anybody die of silicosis, that's, that's exposure to silica. It goes into your lungs. It gets into your alveoli, which is where you exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. All right. Your body sees it as foreign, it scars it over, and it takes away your ability to breathe, turning into huge masses. These people you see dragging around their oxygen, well, that's the step, the good step, right before they go home and gasp to death. All right? So you feel comfortable with not putting your people in PPE, not finding your hazards. Um, as far as I'm going to say, you need to reassess your... Uh, your life as a human being. If you think that's okay, very few times will you ever see me judge. I'll get super judgy on that. It's your job to protect your people. All yes. right. And if you aren't that kind of person, you need to be doing something else where you don't want to affect people's lives. That's just plain flat wrong. Sorry. There you go. Beyond that, we have this environment. We're supposed to go and do stuff really quickly. We have to do a hazard assessment so we know how to protect our people. How do you manage that risk? And I need for you guys, even in a hurricane, you need to contemplate that. When you put your people inside of a house that's open and make them do demo, they should be in PPE. Is it to say, is it as high a concentration as uh, you would if it was enclosed? No, but your people putting your people directly in harm's way. Well, David, it's wet. What's the chances of it aerosolizing? I don't know, but it's your obligation to provide work and a place of work free from all known hazards. Yeah. And what's the permissible exposure limit for any known hazard? The statutory limit may be one part per million for asbestos, but the OSHA limit zero. So here we are, they're, they're coming out there and everybody's trying to do this. And guys, they'll let you do this. I remember when I, when I worked Katrina, I refused to go because everyone's spraying bleach all over everything and they yeah. won't do any. I'm like, I won't do that. I won't. They're like, David, you're giving up a million dollars. No, I'm giving up five and I don't care. Because at some point, someone's going to come back and sue you out of that and they should. David, you're so yeah. pessimistic. No, I've done this for 30 years. <laughs> I'm not pessimistic. I'm informed. It wasn't 30 years back then, but still uh, 15, I guess. But uh, you just, as you're listening to this, guys, I don't want you to think that this is going to be anything besides um, full on reviews of this and the greater the size of the file and the greater the degree of, of adherence to the standard of care, 
better files get better reviews. All right. And they will beat you with your own data. They will. And if you take and put a value from a meter into an application, as much as I applaud all the new development we have for we're getting all of our readings and they're putting them in by hand and stuff like that and all these applications, it's, it's an absolutely wonderful addition. And I believe in hand readings for initial, uh, for initial assessment. Mm -hmm. But I just, I can't imagine that in five years, anybody will not be using remote monitoring from what happens from that point forward. It just, it eliminates that. You know, if you want to yeah. argue with, you want to argue with my contractor over the reading they got on the remote, guess who you get in trial? All right. <laughs> Which means nobody, nobody ever calls us for that. They'll call it a contractor. They'll question a contractor's motive. Mm -hmm. They'll never they'll never question the motive of the person that's produced the um the the piece of equipment. Yeah. If the contractor uses it properly. So that's kind of the environment. You need to be aware um that all that kind of stuff is going on. There will be no short reviews. You cannot count on any payment coming from the carriers. Um, even the people that are coming. I need you to know, even people coming on commercial, guys, if you're not providing your daily burns and you're not collecting weekly, just be prepared. And for those of you that are doing commercial work, I'm seeing carriers doing reachbacks. They're taking those files. They're sending the file that's prepared to a third-party reviewer. The third-party reviewer is recommending a third of the payment, and the carrier is mm. countersuing back. Well, okay. Okay. All right. So, so before we wrap it up, I want to bring it <laughs> full circle. Well, not even oh, full happy circle. Happy day, right? <laughs> we, we started the conversation kind of talking about documentation, and you have established a system to help onboard clients and help clients understand what this mitigation process looks like. So everyone's on the same page. We can avoid a lot of this lit litigious stuff that you have talked about. And yeah. then the the home the property owners also feel like they're informed throughout the process. So explain a little bit about that. How can restorers be going into, especially cat scenarios like this, setting proper expectations and getting documentation beyond just like a work authorization up front? Okay. So um to define the problem, there's tons of liability hanging out there. If somebody doesn't assign the liability to the right person, we all argue about opinions. The idea is to have an insured that is knowledgeable enough because they're the one with the, don't forget, everybody that has this white knight syndrome thinking they're going to go protect their insured, all right, you're not licensed for it. You're not insured to do that. You don't have legal standing typically to do that. Mm -hmm. You are you are running out. And chances are, you know, I tell the story of the king. He came into the village and he molested the beautiful young maiden. And the beautiful young maiden cries out to the knight, help, help. The knight rides up in his shiny steed. I can help you, young lady. Let me go take care of this. And he heads off to the mountain. To, the, to take care of the king in his stronghold. And about halfway across, the dude on the wall looks at the king and says, yo, dude, come on over here. You see what I see? Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of stupid. What's he doing? 
He's coming over. Where was Sir Stupid before? I uh, was in talking to that girl you just happened to visit two nights ago. Wonder what he wants. I know what he wants. He's, he's irritated because I violated him. Well, what do you want? What what you want me to do? Start shooting. You want me to shoot the night? Oh no, I need him in the next crusade. Shoot the shoot the damsel in distress. Damsel in distress sitting over there, right? Now think about this in the context of a claim. Damsel mm. in distress. Help, yeah. help, help. Until those arrows start firing over her head. And at some point, she can't stop the knight. The knight's going to go take care of business. Arrows keep coming over. Someone gets the brilliant idea of taking one of those arrows and they shoot the knight in the back. Tell me you've not lived that as a claim, as a claim professional or as a mitigation yeah. professional. All right. Yeah. So we have this environment where what should be done cannot be pressed by any of these people effectively. The contractor, except for the contractor, the contractor can take and define the standard, but he has no leverage to be able to make sure that the that the insurance company is held accountable for it. That ends up happening through the insured being educated enough so that they can demand it. Mm -hmm. What I want is I want an insured that I've taken through a process of onboarding or education, and they've seen the OSHA general duty clause. They've seen the um, the 19 or 1910-132-D1 for respiratory. They've seen 8.6 and 8.7 for lead and asbestos. It says you shall and should find lead and asbestos in your projects. They've mm -hmm. seen that with their eyes. I am required to do this for my people. So when a carrier, um, and, and I want you to realize the vast majority of, of carriers are not dishonest. Terrible contractors, dishonest contractors, terrible dishonest um, carriers, small percentages, yep. terribly undertrained people who have no background, no understanding of the standard, and are working off of cheat sheets, both sides, contractors and insurance adjusters that understand nothing. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to somebody from a TPA, TPC, and I'm like, hey, do you have this your standard of care available for you? What's the standard of care? You went to WRT, didn't you? Yes. Did they not crack that open? I happen to know that they teach standard and at least a portion of the standard WRT. They have no clue. So we have crooks <laughs> and, and terrible people it mm -hmm. should be burned. Well, you know what I mean. And then yep. they have a whole yep. lot of people that are that are on both sides that are maybe well-intentioned, but have no idea what they should be doing. And even if you told them, they're now terrified of their managers, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a contractor that's trying to say, I got to do the right thing. And we got an insured saying, do the right thing. And we got a carrier saying, well, I don't even know what the right thing is. And that's not what they told me. Every structure mm -hmm. should be dry in three days and it's all cat one. So the idea of onboarding is to have your contractor pinned down to a scope of work that's standard base and documentation to go with it. The insured to have enough information in front of them that they know when the carrier says something that confronts that, no, that's not right. In my system, my client drives that. In my system, 
my client being fully informed of what the standard of care says, what kind of sampling is required, all right, what should be done, how often you should have your reports, how often you should be doing your inspections, what inspect, knowing all of that it takes about two hours to walk them through it. For all you people that say nobody will ever sit still for that long, if you explain to them that it's their health, welfare, and safety for them to do it, yeah, they will. I promise you, I've got a long list of clients and my own that will absolutely sit through that. They do that in my system. They sign it and create a directive for the uh, for the contractor, and then they make the contractor commit to doing the standard of care, and then it goes to the carrier for the carrier to sign that they will accept it. Now we've pinned down everybody in their lane, everybody's yeah. agreement for what we're going to do. And what that does is that pulls all that stuff that you guys argue about that ends up being the fodder of litigation later on, not fodder, mm -hmm. but fodder. Fodder, fodder. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was having a, a, a very Austin, an Austin Powers moment. <laughs> Gold fodder. Um, it pulls it up into now. If you're going to have a problem with me sampling, if you're going to have a problem with the me finding the edges of it, which means I have to go underneath my vinyl, I have to go underneath my floor, I have to go behind my cabinets, I have to go in my walls and floors and ceilings, and even if I don't see it, I have to get my boundary within two feet. That means I got to tear it apart until I know what it is, and then I have to sample it. Unless, of course, you'd like to agree with me that's category three and should come out for some other reason, I have to know. If you're going to argue with me, I'm going to sample the snot out of everything because I'm not going to let you put my client in the position of that. Because I know the way I keep my documentation is going to affect my client's ability to recover. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be the person trying to recover for them. Yep. I did that for years because we had the ability in Florida under an assignment of benefit. They mm. made it to where that's almost impossible to do. And for those of you who are using an AOB, guys. I'm not so sure your AOB is going to stand. There's no law on it. You might be two years before they settle the matter of how an AOB applies to a storm system, which means everyone's going to stop, squat, and nothing's going to get done or paid. It's going to be at the bottom of everyone's stack and stay there. So I know this has not been a happy 45 minutes to an hour, um, but, but you need to know your liability when you do this. As business people, you need to be aware of it. Um, as crews, if your people are not doing that, if your people are not in PPE, if they're not sampling, if they're not doing proper hazard assessment, guys, just because you're in the middle of Florida, don't let anybody tell you that there is an emergency order that lets you demo asbestos if you're not an asbestos abatement contractor. And if they come back and they find asbestos on that job, you can rest assured they will sue you. Huh? There's an entire there's an entire business about 15 years ago that came out of our area that went national and they went back and they crashed and burned because somebody didn't catch asbestos on water damage claim about 12, 13 miles from where I'm sitting here. And they got sued millions and millions of dollars for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. If you're around and you know, you know, if you don't, I promise you it's there. Contact me privately and I'll do it. I'm not going to say it on the phone but or on the on the Zoom, but you guys got to be aware that they'll let you do anything today. Mm -hmm. They will. They'll say absolutely nothing. But there will come a time where if they don't like what you did, how you did it, or they just happen to think that 
you're a really appealing target, man, I can promise you, somebody will give you an in-depth inspection you will not soon forget. Um, and it can be your company. All you need is one of those. You could be a $20 million company and all you need is one or two of those. All right. Well, raising sunshine here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, happy, David, happy. <laughs> David, thank you for all of your expertise and all of your insight. For those who are listening or watching, you can find more on mitconsulting.com. And I also believe mittraining.com. Is that your other URL? I think. Uh, yeah, that. there's mittraining.com and mitt classes for my content. Okay. Mitclasses.com. Yep. Okay, perfect. And then um, you can also find more from David on the CNR website. Just type in his name on the top and you can also find his ebook under our ebook. So lots of resources out there for all of this. David, thank you very much for your time. Good uh, luck with all of your work on all of these claims and to the contractors out there who are daring to do cat work. <laughs> yep. Guys, congrats. Uh, do it. Just do it super smart. All right. I don't want to see good, solid companies put out of business because they just didn't understand. And there is a group that always have that happen. I see it every year. Yeah. So good luck. God bless. Be smart. For more restoration today, visit our website, cnrmagazine.com, or find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.